The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Welcome to episode 23 of season 5 of The Outspoken Bible. I am Fiona Stewart. I'm joined as ever by Neil Glover. Hello. And Jen Robertson. Hi. <laughs> now, uh, to correspondence, uh, Neil, you, I think, heard from our bus travelling friend, Louise. Louise from Gala Shields. Yes, and I'm just going to look that up. Sorry, I need to just find it on my phone here. See where we are. Because uh, you forwarded it to the pair of us. Louise writes, hi, Neil. Just a wee message to say that I did my welcome talk about the Outspoken Bible podcast at our evening service on Sunday. And I think it was well received. I mentioned Glover's Others using the talking donkey and Eutychus as examples. Turns out that we already have listeners amongst the evening folks, so that's great. great. Terrific. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, thanks again to all you do. For all you do, I'm actually on the bus again to Aberdeen, so we'll listen Brilliant. in soon. Hope she's listening nice. to that on the bus. That would be great. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and just to add, we did check with Louise that it was okay to share that, just in case if, you, if anybody's worried about sending us private messages. I know we've yes. said this before. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yes. Yes, on that note, also, there's something else I don't know about you two, but now when I meet people that I know are listeners, because they've corresponded, it's like there's a little sort of secret nod goes on. So I saw John Hodges the other day. Hodges the other day. Oh, did you? Yes, and I just, just a little nod. <laughs> a knowing nod. <laughs> a knowing nod. It was lovely. Uh, so that's the correspondence. Uh, that's all we've had. Now, Neil, there has been a disappointing lack of correspondence over Glover's others mm. in terms of the competition. I wonder if we've confused people a little bit. I wonder if we have. I think I might have confused it by always giving the long list. Yeah. Well, we not start. just that. We had a long conversation about whether it was alphabetical or not. Uh-huh. And I, I, that's kind of right, but it needs a little bit of extra detail. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll leave that there yep. just to sit before we, we come back to that. Um, but in, whilst we're still in the intimation section... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Intimations. <laughs> <laughs> Jen was telling us before we started today that one of her takeaways was about dreams and she's got an update on what's happened well i mean it was quite a long time ago my takeaway in dreams like it was some i mean it was in acts but it was a number of weeks ago episodes ago um yeah so i i'd since then i'd said to god not regularly but occasionally um use my dreams at night because i do have quite a lot of dreams and nothing really happened and then on Saturday morning, I woke up and I'd had a dream about a couple of people I know, but I, I don't know them very well, but I know of them. And I knew they were in a leadership role. But in the dream, I was having a conversation with them and encouraging them in what they do, which is a, was a bit strange because was, they're not people that I would normally have a conversation with, very, not not very often. And then I kind of, I thought, oh, I wonder what I should do about that. Should I message them? And I thought I would. And then I had my breakfast and I'd forgotten about it. And then I very strongly felt that God was reminding me, um, you need to message that person. So I did. And then it turned out that the thing in the dream that I'd been having a conversation with them about had been really difficult for them over the past year. And they needed lots of encouragement from God to keep on going in that former leadership. And so there we go. <laughs> my dream had just spoken right into that situation and I, and I think when I'd said to God speak to my dreams I thought it'd be quite dramatic but it was yes. just a dream mm. about having a conversation with someone <laughs> yes. yeah so I, I think I'll keep on keep on asking God to do that and maybe that's you great could, you could too if you dream often yeah I mean so, I, I, I feel encouraged to do that and well done for having the courage to do something about it as well because I, I think sometimes God yeah. speaks to us about things and we 
quell it down a bit. Yeah, and, and it kind of tied in with, over the last couple of years, if someone comes to my mind, I, sometimes I just message them and say, I was thinking about mm. you, are you okay? And mm. I don't do that as much as I should, but the kind of this kind of tied into that kind of pattern, so it wasn't completely mm-hmm. odd for me to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm quite surprised, and I sh- probably shouldn't be. That's great. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know you can't order these things up. I'd love to make that a regular slot. Tell us about your dreams this week. Yes. yes. See, if we're, see if we were in a non-Western culture, we'd be like totally okay with this. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. all over the Christmas story and it's as we're seeing, it's all over the acts. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe the question needs to be about what God's saying to you. Because we're actually not very good at that either. You know, so even in the non-dramatic form, yeah. we're not, I think we're not very good. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not very good at having conversations with people where I say, well, this is what, this is what God's saying to me at the moment. And it encourages me when people do it. I mean, most of my dreams are just absolutely ridiculous. If I tried to work them out, it wouldn't happen. But this was a very straightforward dream. Yeah. So thank you, God. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Good. Well, that is into that filled the slot that we would normally put some correspondence into. into. <laughs> it's correspondence of a different form. <laughs> absolutely. So, I mean, and I'm putting that out there. If anybody would like to correspond with us and tell us their experience of god speaking to them in dreams or otherwise then please do get in touch that we'd love to hear from you talking about correspondence so yes. i could just i was listening i was listening to our most recent episode that has just uh, been released and i just found it quite amusing and, and quite nice when it was commented on that andrew had said to scott mckinnis uh, in my mum's podcast and i was thinking yes there's not many sons that would be able to say that to their friends really and i, I was quite pleased with that mm. That's good. Not that it's just my podcast. It's other people's podcasts too. No, no, no. No, I understand what you're I saying. I was yes. <laughs> And also, I mean, again, well done, Andrew, for, you know, the podcast evangelism. We enjoyed that. Now, on the Andrew topic, actually, that brings me to something I was thinking about with Glover's Others, which is I wonder, Neil, if part of the problem with people not messaging in about that is there's no prize on offer. Yeah. Yeah. What could, and I know we've talked a lot about this, haven't we? Mm-hmm. What could a good prize be? I know. We've offered the car journey with Elaine. Yeah. Maybe people have lost confidence because that never happened yet. Well, it could be. I know. That's right. It's a sort of deferred gratification, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't know. We'll need to think about that. Maybe there's a prize. Uh, in the meantime, though, I'm going to just give you a list of the people we're lo- currently looking for a connection mm-hmm. with. So we're mm-hmm. looking for a connection that goes Abimelech, or Abimelech, Baruch, Gad, Delilah, Eli, Zechariah, Herodias, and most recently, Thaddeus. Thaddeus? Thaddeus. Of the Twelve. Yeah. yeah. Thaddeus. Thaddeus. Th- uh, it's quite important. Oh, is it? Yeah. Thaddeus. Very good. Uh, so, Neil, who's your other today? Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others. B-list characters you really don't want to miss. Glover's Others comes from Romans chapter 16, verse 7, where Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives who were in prison with me. They are prominent among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. And it's that person there, Junia, because lots and lots of recent ink has been spilled over Junia. And it is because the passage, certainly on one reading, seems to apply that she is a female apostle. 
and therefore uh, opens up the possibility that in the early church, there was both female leadership, female evangelism, and female preaching. So what do we do with that? Well, there's two kind of controversies there. First, is Junia, Junia, or Junian? Because the Greek can be read either way, and it depends for those of you who are into languages, whether it's a nominative or the accusative. Uh, the consensus certainly seems to be that it's Junia, it's female. Uh, Junian is a very unusual Roman name, and nobody was thinking this person was male um, till relatively late on, about the 12th century. And then the second phrase, that's much more tricky, where it says they are prominent among the apostles. Now, does that mean that Junia was a member of the apostles and she was prominent amongst the apostles? Or did it mean that she was renowned by the apostles? In other words, was she one of the apostles and she was quite prominent? Or was she known to the apostles and they regarded her very highly? And the Greek can mean either. And the, the evidence is quite scant either way. And there's lots and lots of ink being spilled over this. And depending on what translation you read in the Bible, um, you'll see different translations. And sometimes it is influenced by the, the theological perspective that's, that um, informs uh, that particular Bible translation as well. Um, for what it's worth, I, I, I've changed my mind about twice on this this morning as I've been reading it. Uh, the, the, the lexical evidence seems to, I mean, it's very thin, but slightly points to her being renowned by the other apostles. But it's only really one reference you can go to for that. On the other hand, in the early church, certainly by people like Chrysostom, who I think was uh, about AD 300, something like that, uh, he certainly regarded her as a female apostle and he read it that way and, and his first language was Greek so um, they I don't know I if I had to absolutely make a decision I think she is numbered among the apostles because um, Paul normally is not that bothered about what the the other apostles think about people if you think about it in Galatians he's quite dismissive and in Romans the same book that this is written in he's very dismissive of human praise so um I but I, I the evidence is thin mm -hmm. um and I don't think there's the evidence is strong enough to hang your views on on women's ordination and leadership and speaking on this verse I think it's very interesting and I think it I think it's useful because it does open the possibility of female apostleship in the early church. But I think the, the discussion has to happen elsewhere um, around passages like Galatians 3, 28. Um, in Christ, there's neither female nor male. 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 7. All those passages, I think, are the ones where the discussion happens. And of course, Jesus's own relationship with, with women. Um, so... That is Junia, and she is a Glover's Others, about whom much has been discussed, particularly in recent years. Thank you very much. It's interesting because, it, I mean, we this segment is subtitled B-list characters, isn't it? But mm. from what you've just said, that, that's just, it's actually really important. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's got a really important... Did you not say you read a whole book about Junia? Yes, yeah, Scott McKnight has a book on Junia. I mean, it's a it's more of a... I was going to say a pamphlet. It's not a pamphlet. It's bigger than a pamphlet. Uh, maybe like a novella size. Yeah, a novella. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and it's like, it's quite a few years since I've read it. I mean, he he is very much of the opinion that she was an apostle. Right. Um, well, yeah. and actually, to be honest, a lot of the book is spent talking about the whether it's a male or female name. He's yes. he's convinced that it's a female. Yeah, name. I would definitely. I, I, I actually I can't to be honest, Neil. I can't really remember exactly what he said, mm-hmm. but it was worth it. It was worth a read. We could put a note in the show notes. Yes, yeah, we book, could actually. Yeah, and yeah. any other any other books that might be of interest to anyone. Yeah. I mean, I, it is interesting, isn't it, to think that certainly John Chrysostom in the 400s, um, he thought she was a female apostle. Mm. Of course, the other thing that we often skip over is that she was a female prisoner. And being uh-huh. a female prisoner in those days was horrendous. Being, being, in a, being in a Roman jail, which we'll come to later on, was horrendous, full stop. But being in there as a woman, oh my goodness. So um, she was a remarkable woman. Interesting. I feel there's a further conversation we could have about theological views that influence how we interpret. I know. Texts. I mean, that's yeah. And translate texts. Uh Aha. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Um, And it's not that I'm dodging it, but, you know. We're already 13 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're in loquacious mood today because I think, I think the, we are. The, yes. <laughs> the loquacity is flowing. Anyway, so if you would like to chip in, tell us your thoughts, uh, give us your Junian opinions. Um, mm. The contact details, of course, are outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Uh, we promise that we wouldn't read out anything that you don't want read out. So, you know, if you want to contact us in, in, with anonymity, you can do that. Uh, and indeed, just contact us and never hear any more again. That's absolutely fine. Uh, but don't forget also that you can like, share, rate and review. Now, last time we said goodbye to the Ephesian elders and we left Paul boarding a ship heading towards Jerusalem. And today we pick up the story in Acts 21 and we're reading from verse 1 of, of chapter 21 through to verse 35 of chapter 23. So as ever, now is your moment to pause the episode and read or listen to those verses if you've not done it for a while. Now, Jen, last time you were a bit disappointed because we had billed the fact that we were going to read chapter 20 of Acts and then we were going to read through to verse 16 mm-hmm. of chapter 21. And I think you actually said, I can't remember exactly, but I think you said something about, oh, I wanted to talk about the torn yourself away bit and what happened next. So do you want to kick us off? Tell, tell us about the beginning of chapter 21 and where you landed with that. Well, it's really the bit when um, they land at Tyre and uh, it's unloading its cargo and then Paul seeks out the disciples and they stay there for seven days um, and then it was time to leave and they have this beautiful intergenerational gathering on the beach when they all say goodbye to Paul and it says there's wives and children. So everybody was there and well, I've talked about last time how Eutychus was often used as an inter- a reason to be intergenerational, but I wasn't too sure if it was a very good example. I think this is a great example. So they're mm-hmm. all there saying goodbye. You're not, you know, it's not in a, a goodbye meeting like something you'd have in a very formal church setting where the children aren't part of it. The children are right there. And, and maybe they're not all sitting in a circle with their heads bowed and their hands clasped. Maybe they're building sandcastles and running about in the sea. Who knows? But they're all together as a family for this moment. Uh, that is deeply moving for them all and they pray together but as I said maybe not in that very formal way I, just, mm. I think it's really special and it's I, I've never heard it I don't know if I've ever heard it it's preached on I think it's, it's one of my I mean 
Not into this favourite bits of the Bible. That's always very difficult. But it's a great bit of the Bible. I really like it. That it's commented on. I wonder why Luke commented on it, that they were all there. Well, it's interesting to me as well that we don't have any names of anyone who's there. Mm-hmm. Male, female, old or young. Maybe And maybe that's why it's not preached on. Maybe it sort of gets a bit buried because of that. Because I wonder who they were and where that church had formed from. And... Exactly. And what had happened in those seven days. I mean, was there a relationship before? Maybe there was. But those seven days had maybe been so significant and they were so grateful that Paul was there and he was grateful for them that it's like we talked the last time about that that deep relationship that mm. that means mm-hmm. that the goodbyes are very hard. Yeah, we have this image, don't we, of Paul. Sometimes he says it, he alludes to it in one of his letters in Corinthians, you know, will I come with a, a whip or a, what is it, a whip or a, something else? Um, but he, he has that reputation, but he's so tender. And the other thing I love about this, and we've all been involved in camps and so on, which have happened in beaches, uh, it. It's not too often. I think I think we think it does happen sometimes, but it doesn't happen too often that something happens on a beach. And we think of our own experiences, I think, um, of some of the moments I've had on the beach at Loch Morlich or on um, Ely Beach Mission, where people had a tremendously profound experiences uh, on a beach, outdoors, praying, singing. Uh, Bruce Lockhart's probably uh, who led the Ely Beach Mission uh, for many years. His favourite moment on a beach was they had a parents' night last night and um, I can't remember the exact details but it was something like this. He said um, maybe um, even if we pray a helicopter will appear he stuck his hand up and a helicopter appeared <laughs> that was what happened. It was, it was like that. Good story. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of these great beach moments. Yeah. But we do have different. We do have a different relationship to beaches don't we in our mm-hmm. contemporary society than they would have had. I mean the sea would have mm. been dangerous and not the place you wanted to go and I, I, I don't know maybe there was time to play in the beach I, I, I doubt it um so maybe the beach is kind of incidental really it's the it's the significance of Paul leaving yes I, I wondered if the beach was was because that was where they could meet all together as a larger group and it's also well, it depends if the ship is taken off from the beach or a harbour, isn't it? But it's it's as far as you can go. Maybe he's getting onto a rowing boat. And I know you always laugh at this, but I have a feeling. I, no, no, maybe. I, oh no, maybe I've not been to Tyre. I've been I've been on that coast. <laughs> <laughs> I've been at Latakia, which is in Lebanon, but I think I think Tyre's further south. But it's oh. yeah, it's a kind of classic Mediterranean. I mean, without wanting to get too reading into it, and I am about to do that, the, the beach is the classic liminal space. It's the classic space on the edge. And that's what gives it its quality. I mean, in, in Gaelic language, there are like hundreds of different words for the things you see on a beach, different kinds of rocky outcrops and so on, because the Celts were very interested in that place where the land meets the sea. And this is a kind of edge place here. It's a, We're on the boundary of saying goodbye. We're on the boundary of land. Um, we're on the boundary of life and death, really. I know, and the, and the, that liminality is seen in in the journey that he's undergoing mm. as well, isn't it? Because they yeah. know, like like the Ephesians in last week's um, conversation, they know they're not going to see him again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we talk about liminality. So I've I led SU holidays at school for. I can't, people keep asking me how long I led them for. I can't really remember. I think it was fifteen years as a team leader, but I did lots before that, and. Um, there's still a blackboard at school that has the letters of school down one side and then there's a word from each letter. There's a name for that, isn't there, that describes school. But I managed to get in the L 
liminal. So for years, I've had lots of uh, 12, 13, 14 year olds asking me, what's liminal in in that voice? Because they come from Glasgow. And um, I'm able to explain, just as you've said that, the geographical nature of a liminal space on the edge of the land and the sea, but also able to say, but we come here because we believe in these spaces. That's a special opportunity to meet with God. And I totally believe, well, for me, school has been a liminal space for me and for lots and lots of people, because in that place, it was a special encounter with God. Yeah, yeah, an acrostic. And getting liminality into the um, the words, <laughs> into the vocabulary pretty of good. Scottish young people what, is pretty good. <laughs> what is the exact meaning of liminal? What does it exactly mean? Well, it is it's somewhere on the edge, as you described, so between between places, so... It's a geographical term that has been taken to be used as a spiritual term, has it not? Yeah. A, a place I really feel it, um, which I suppose is unique to what I get to do some of the time. And people would be might be surprised at this, is um, when I say the words of committal at, at the crematorium and I normally walk away from the lectern and slightly towards the coffin. And I know that the theology of this is slightly harder to justify, but it does feel like yeah. you're standing in the place. And I, I mean, once again, maybe in some Protestant theology, this might not go down too well, but I, I address the person. I say, go your way. Um, go your way into the arms of Jesus who died for you. Uh, and that's such a moment. It's such a privilege to stand. You feel like you're on the boundary of heaven and earth. There you go. As an aside, did you know that I was baptised at school? Oh, yes, I did. Yes. Thankfully, you know, I didn't keep going beyond the liminality <laughs> out into the North Sea. Uh, good okay so so yeah that's a lovely so that's a lovely i think we've 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 given it we've given it its place jen the bit that we missed last time yeah that that conversation on the beach the importance of that luke writes when it was time to leave we left and continued on our way and all of them including wives and children accompanied it it seems like there's a kind of surge no it was just like that Mm -hmm. goodbye thing we talked about the last time it's time to say goodbye but they can't say goodbye they have to go right with them to the Mm -hmm. place of departure it's beautiful yeah yeah, see them off. Yeah, can we talk about Philip? Oh, I'm a big fan of Philip. Yeah, <laughs> I find him fascinating. So the last time we encountered Philip was in Acts eight, when he was on the road to, um, when he spoke to the the eunuch on the road. Was it the same Philip? I think so. I think. It, well, I didn't realise that. I'm quite excited by that. Oh, I've always assumed it was. The reason we think it's the same. Or people Philip the Evangelist, is, isn't yes, he? Yes, that's the reason. So yeah. it's as opposed to Philip the Apostle. Yeah, and also that... Is he called the Evangelist in those? Yeah, he is, yeah, yeah. most people. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he's got these four daughters who prophesy. Anybody, anybody got any daughters who prophesy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't you know. know. Of, you might don't know. That's an interesting question, but, isn't it? Uh, it doesn't say much about them, though. I'd like more information. Yes, yes. Well, I was thinking it takes us a little bit back to the junior conversation mm. in that clearly these are women who have a prophetic gifting and where that is recognised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, one, of the, one of the discussions about women's leadership is, of course, female prophets because they, there are female prophets in First Corinthians. They have to have their head covered, but they are definitely prophesying. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes people say, well, maybe that wasn't happening in the church, but this idea that... You know, you could go outside to prophesy, but there was this special place called church where suddenly you had to stop. Mm. It's faintly ludicrous, I think. Um, But that's how people sometimes try to square it with 1 Corinthians 14, uh, where it says something different. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, I think, 
the the text the textual evidence for that being part of the original letter is is harder to pin down but um yeah just just amazing i love the fact he must have been a great dad to encourage them yes that's why i like him yeah. it just I, yeah. I, I like his sort of his courage and sort of willingness to be on the edge and engage with people and encourage people who maybe wouldn't Otherwise, be encouraged to. I'm a bit disappointed in it though, because it says he had four unmarried daughters who were prophes- who prophesied, and then the next sentence is, after we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agapus came down from Judea, and it's him that then prophesizes about Paul being going to Jerusalem and being bound up and stuff. And it's like, well, I've been better for being one of the daughters, really. So he's, he's here's his prophetic daughters, but it's the guy that comes in from Judea that gives us prophecy. Yes, although is it not that we learn about the, his prophecy particularly because it then causes the, what happens next, which is yeah, okay. people pleading with Paul not to go. Yeah. So maybe, maybe they were prophesying during the number of days, but it wasn't significant enough. Still uh-huh. disappointing, though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like we'll, it to we'll be one of them. It. We'll let you have it. Yeah, they, yeah. Why, why do we need the visiting prophet to do it when the... I think we're, I think we're being a wee bit unfair to Agabus, though, aren't we? Because... Surely he's a fellow believer, comes to visit them, and he has a prophetic word. I don't think he's come, you know, officiously to... to no, no. <laughs> and it's not Agapus's problem. But it, I, I think what what's coming out in my conversation is my experience as a woman in ministry, that sometimes it's the man that gets the... who gets listened to. Yes. Not because mm-hmm. it's necessarily that man that's problematic. But because of the setup, and I'm I'm reading that into this situation, and I hadn't even thought of that before we started talking. Um, but I, I feel it. That's what I feel when I read it, and I think that's important to express that. Yes, yes, and to name it. Uh huh. Yeah. No, I think that's very true, Jen. I would echo that as well. But yes, can can we talk about Agabus and his and his prophecy? It's not particularly cheerful, is it? It's it's very. It's very physical, isn't it? Firstly, he he doesn't just say you're going to be bound. He he enacts it to give it that extra power, and that's quite a common thing with the prophets, particularly Ezekiel. I think you know, was it Ezekiel that shaved off his head and burnt it? And and, and Jeremiah, did he not go down pits and things? And it was that. Yeah, and, and Isaiah as well. Did Isaiah not? Yeah. What about the burying of the of the the pants? We've talked about this before. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Who the dirty underwear? Is that is that Jeremiah? Yeah. I can't remember who it is. We need to find out. Yeah, go and look it up for next time. Yeah, look out for next time. But it's it's very powerful, isn't it? But it but is. It's, it's kind of because we've talked about it as as almost being like performance art, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was thinking it's a very big big belt. He ties mm. his hands and his feet. You no, know, it's not like a wee leather belt that we wear. Yeah, yeah. It's like a big a big wrapping round. And it's Paul's belt. So he takes Paul's belt off him and and says, "This is what's going to happen to you." And what people's response is. Isn't a kind of fatalistic, okay, that's what's going to happen, how bad? They're like, right, Paul, we need to make sure this prophecy doesn't actually happen, which is kind of a, is a kind of interesting... Tell us more about that. Yeah, so certainly in some of the Jewish prophecies, um, you almost don't want it to happen. So the classic example is Jonah, where his prophecy is this city is going to be destroyed. I don't think it's conditional. I have to double check that. And then God relents from the prophecies. So the, the prophecy serves as a warning for yeah. you almost to, to not do it. Whereas it seems to me that for Paul, this is much more like Jesus saying, I am going to go up to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified and this is what's going to happen. 
and this is my path. And a bit like the disciples trying to dissuade Jesus, the friends of um, Paul tried to dissuade him from doing it. Yeah, and it's a huge strength in Paul to answer the ways that he does, isn't mm. it? It's like mm. a, I put right, it's a corrective perspective. He, he completely corrects mm. how they are viewing things and and gives it from a his. This is God's. This is what God's doing, and this is what's going to happen. It'd be very easy for Paul to say, "Yeah, let, let's not go to Jerusalem." That's what I would say. <laughs> let's not bother mm-hmm. with that. It's, it shows how much he he is in. He's connected to God, to Jesus. He know he knows this is what it's about. And then I do find that they wouldn't. He wouldn't be dissuaded. So we gave up and said, "The Lord's will be done." Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You can't. Uh-huh. We can't fight against this. And but that's interesting, though, isn't it? Because Paul has this very definite conviction that getting to Rome is is what he should do. Getting to Jerusalem and then getting to Rome. Ah, but but it's 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 going to Jerusalem, going to Rome, isn't it? But he only mentions it's Jerusalem it's... here. Rome comes in later on, doesn't it? When he has yeah, the conversation he, with Jesus. Here he says, "For I am not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem." And it's quite interesting that half of that will happen. So he will be bound in Jerusalem. Yeah. But the second part won't. And then as you point out, Fiona, it's actually Jeru- it's Rome where he's going to die. And that's almost symbolic of the the move of the gospel because Jesus dies in the capital of the Jewish world yeah. and Paul is going to die in the capital of the Gentile world. Which he was called to. Mm. Uh, he's, that's what he's been called to. And we've talked about that before the need to know what your call is to keep on going when things get hard. Mm. And if you don't have that call, then when things like this happen, you're just like, yeah, that's okay. I'll just stay here with all the people on the beach. That would be nice. I've just, I didn't, those first 16 verses, it's the people in them. It's it's all people, isn't it? People, people, people. Mm. Um, Philip, Agapus, the people on the beach, um, constant relationships. Four daughters. Yep, mustn't forget them after what I've said. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was listening online to Andy Bathgate's Thanksgiving service on Saturday. Andy was the the chief executive of SU Scotland when I worked for SU. Um, and Fiona, you, you were there as well. Um, but um, Nigel Pollock spoke from New Zealand. Um, and one of the things he said about Andy well, in relation to Andy, was that there is a Maori proverb, which the question is, what's the most important thing in the world? And the answer in the Maori language is Tangata, 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 which is people, people, people. And when I was reading this, I was struck, I'd written down beside these verses, people, people, people. And then I remembered uh, what Nigel had said on Saturday when he was talking about Andy's ministry. And, and Paul reflects this. It's all about the people that he's spending mm-hmm. time with. There's a, a slight sideways story that complements that. And it, it, it's actually the same, but the words are different. I was reading uh, a book about Julian of Norwich, the medieval mystic, and she had a number of visions. And they lasted over a number of years and they happened in hardship throughout her life. And um, at the end of one of her visions, she receives the explanation for every revelation that she's had. And she is told the explanation of everything is love. And it, it just got me thinking there what you were saying, Jen. You know, it's about people, 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 and it's and it's about love. And, and you can't have one without the other. You, you know, you, you can't have, because you've got all these people, you've got love, and neither can you talk about love in the abstract. You can't say I generally love, 
the people that you have to love are actual real people. So this is this is about a community of love, and it and it's everything. It reminds me then of what Paul would say in First Corinthians thirteen that the greatest of these is love, and yeah, he he lives it. And it also makes sense of the, that almost drivenness that we've we've alluded to that you know he he knows he needs to keep going, but it's not because he he wants to achieve something. I don't think. I think it's because he's driven by that love that he he himself experiences. I, I mean, and we'll come on to that. I think possibly when we talk about um, him speaking about the experience of his conversion, you know, there's 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 something has happened in that encounter of love in that moment that drives him in terms of his decision making. But also his, his um, relationships with those around about him, isn't it? And um, so, so he he goes on. He gets to Jerusalem. Um, it says that they arrive and, and everyone welcomes them warmly. And we encounter James and the other elders, as they're described in the NIV. There, um, and Paul reports back what's what's happened. Does it feel like a slightly gnarly conversation that then happens? It feels a wee bit like James is is kind of, and the elders like you know you, you need to. You need to please everybody. You need to you need to keep everybody happy. We're going to have problems here if you don't kind of toe the line a bit more. That's how I read it as, you know, because there's there's problems ahead. You need to get these men. You need to get purification done. So, um, you need to pay, you know, we we need to show that you're living in obedience to the law. Yeah, it there does feel something subtly coercive about it. Am I the only one who who sees that? That oh, we vote right. I, so the undercurrent is that the, not just to, so it's 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 pr- firstly there's a bit of sympathy for James here because he's having to play off in two sides. He's in Jerusalem, he's got the 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 Jewish church, and then on one side he's got the the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are saying to him, "What are you playing at? You, you're being unfaithful to Judaism, and what's more, you you're hanging out with Paul." So we've heard rumours that Paul is telling people to abandon the law. So James needs something um, to to them to kind of prove his loyalty in this real context. But the other thing, I I, I feel sorry for Paul because it's like, yeah, we've got it all sorted out. And uh, by the way, can you pay for it as well? Um, And but there's another thing, and I I relate to this a lot. um, There does seem to be a bit of showing off with numbers going on here, isn't it? Isn't it? Doesn't it show how, how much God is blessing our particular version of Christianity, which is very strong in law keeping? Because look at those thousands of converts, and look at how not how zealous they are for the gospel, how zealous they are for the law. And it's, I I know this is a bit personal, um, but sometimes I've been in encounters with people in churches which are very successful in terms of numbers, and they're quite quick to tell you about the numbers. And I have to say, I've sometimes empathised with Paul in that conversation because how did he feel with his relatively probably small churches uh, and here's all these thousands of folk? Yeah, yeah, I I think you're right. I I think I'm maybe just slightly playing devil's advocate here. I've got some level of sympathy in as much as you can imagine Paul arrives and it says that he give a detailed report of what God's done amongst the Gentiles. Mm. And it does say when they heard this, they praised God. So, you know, perhaps there's that sort of sense of, and let's tell you what's happening here. Because it's not just amongst the Gentiles that God's working, but he's working here too. And and I'm not saying that's not to do with what you've just talked about, Neil, that there's that sort of something maybe in James that comes up. Well, I want to tell him what we're doing too, because, you know, 
<laughs> it's not just out there. It's not just in Ephesus. <laughs> yeah, that's true because some of the conversations I've had, they, they, they didn't let you do the, tell me what's happening in your place mm-hmm. first yes. a bit. Yes. Which you're right, says and it's And it's not just about tell us what's happening in your place, but we need to tell you what is happen- what's happened with you, how it's impacting us. So it's, that makes it more of a collaborative, shared experience, isn't it? Because they're saying, because of what you've been saying, this is how the people here feel um, and how we're going to work that out. And it, it is very human, isn't it, to to kind of want to, not, I was going to say big up, I don't mean big up your, your situation, but, you know, kind of give your side of the story. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and, and often when you're in a situation where, you know, things you're doing things and there's not that space to listen to other people's experiences of what's happening. And it's really important, isn't it? I, I, I still don't, I struggle with it though, because we know, we know that Paul's going to a dangerous place. We know that he's, he's jeopardy. And I, I have the sympathy with the, the apostles are saying, don't go up to Jerusalem. Whereas the, the church is actually saying to him, well, we want you to go into Jerusalem. We want you to go to the temple. We want you to wander around for five or six days. I mean, and, and expose, yeah, expose yourself to, yeah, to all that that will then bring. Uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not saying I have a definite, you know, definite perspective on it. I just, I just thought it was. It is interesting because it is gnarly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Paul told them about that though. Did he say there's been all these prophecies about I'm going to be attacked and arrested and maybe killed? Did he tell them that? No, no. They, well, who knows? We don't but know. It, we don't know. Yeah. But they must have. They must have known that it, it was going to be a bit tense if he got spotted. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But there's a sense as well, isn't it, that God's using this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And and I think again, we've talked about this before, but it but it reinforces the the lack of Luke doesn't sanitize the account. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We we kind of get all the nuts and bolts of mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You need to interpret this in different ways because, or you can interpret this in different ways because people are human and they they, they respond in particular ways. Um, there is the repetition of in verse twenty five of uh, chapter twenty one. There's the repetition of those things that they said the Gentiles shouldn't be doing, and that takes us back. Remember to Acts fifteen. We had quite a long conversation about that before. So there seems to be a you know repetition that, that means there's an emphasis on on that. So again, it's food sacrifice idols, um, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality were the things that the, the Gentiles were told to, to steer clear of. And then Paul goes along with this purification purification ritual that he's asked to do. And therefore, like you say, Neil, he, he puts himself into the into the public square, really, doesn't he? Yeah, and he almost gets away with it. He's there for seven days. And then when the seven days were almost completed, he suddenly gets spotted. So it's almost like the last moment. Mm. Yeah. The, the dramatist in you would yes, appreciate that. Hangs on, doesn't it? I know. Yeah. And I, I do like the little uh, bit that's in parenthesis in, in verse 29, because they had seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and they'd assumed that he'd brought him into the temple. That kind of reminds me of, you know that bit when Jesus is, is walking along and, and people see the disciples eating the grain mm-hmm. on the yeah. Sabbath yeah. and they accuse him. And, and I always think it's really interesting that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't kind of say, oh, well, it actually wasn't me that was eating the the green he kind of sticks up for his yeah. team in that yeah, yeah. it reminds me of that a little yeah. bit you know i'm not gonna mm-hmm. i'm not gonna throw trophimus under the bus but mm-hmm. and then and then 
once again, riot ensues. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I suppose this, so bef- before we were we were preparing for today, uh, which we always do, and we talked a little bit, and I was saying a little bit about a, just all sorts of things have been a little bit tough of late. And what you have here are church leaders trying to balance different views within the church. You have misunderstandings, things getting out of control, people coming under attack. And and what we discover is that, that God is using all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, the one quality, we're going to come to this later on, that Paul needs to keep having is courage mm-hmm. as he goes mm-hmm. through these very stormy waters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so mm-hmm. like, it, it's quite reminiscent of Jesus, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like when they get him, the crowd are shouting one thing, they're shouting another, they get him onto the steps, the violence is so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers and then the crowd shout, get rid of him. It just sounds like crucify, doesn't it? Crucify, crucify. And you wondered if Paul had, did Paul think that? This is what happened to Jesus, it's happening to me today. Mm-hmm. I, and I think I hadn't really, until I was preparing for today, I hadn't really sort of thought myself into the situation that of course for Paul he was very much in that well, we don't know if he was there at the crowd of the crucifixion mm. but he was very much in the persecuting mob of Jerusalem wasn't he prior to um going up to Damascus and so there must have been something in coming back to that city for him and how he's viewed by people it's, it's quite complex for Paul isn't it mm. coming to Jerusalem yeah he's has he been persecuted in Jerusalem before well we were is there not when well, we were talking about chapter 22 verse 17 mm-hmm. no I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering yeah, but, if, that, but that's an interesting reference isn't it yeah he, he says when i returned to jerusalem i was praying at the temple i fell into trance and saw the lord speaking to be quick leave jerusalem immediately yeah the yeah he will not accept your testimony hmm. so there's there's definitely been a, an indication for him hasn't there's been there, a threat of it aha mm-hmm. aha and yeah. that time he, had, he did leave yeah 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 there's almost a sense of paul I think is he is he doing this because he feels he needs to follow Jesus, and is there also a sense that he needs to? There's something about he has to confront his own past. Is that maybe? And certainly, there would be people who would be looking to see what what he was saying. Mm-hmm. There, there is lots of there's lots in this section mm. around language, names, misunderstandings of who people are identity yeah i was thinking about the language thing it really matters that you speak the language of the people you're speaking to doesn't it so when he when the, mm. the soldiers are about to take him into the barracks and they discover he speaks greek mm-hmm. but and then, then they're confused about who he is but it initiates the conversation because he's speaking their language and then later and then the next wee minute when he gets the chance to speak to the crowd he speaks in aramaic and when they heard him speak they became very quiet and it doesn't last, does it? But he does get a chance mm. to speak. Mm-hmm. And and we know that from mission. We know that in mission, don't we? We, we need to, you need to know the people you're with. And, and, that, and that, that's that's more than just speaking the language. But speaking the language is a huge thing. It matters. It, it breaks you through and in, into being able to have a relationship with someone if you have the same language. When we were in Bolivia, um, Andrew had to, our son had to translate all the time. And there's one particular woman we met who I just, I knew, even though we were speaking through Andrew, that we'd have been really good friends. I could just, I could just sense it. But 
the relationship was so it, it was a such a barrier because we couldn't speak I could, we couldn't tell each other about ourselves and understand each other better because we didn't I had very little Spanish and she had very little English so and I, I was just struck by that in this bit here that Paul's ability to speak these different languages is so important yes yeah. and it's quite a complex situation there's a lot going on isn't there because mm. because the, the Greek is important and, and we, he's encountered this before hasn't it his Roman citizenship has been advantageous to him so the the Greek is important in that sense. The Aramaic is important in terms of communicating with um, with the populace, but also, do, do you know that I think there is this sense, isn't there, that he's he's going to then have an opportunity to give an account of himself to to different authorities. A lot going on in his head, I'd imagine. There must have been a lot going on in his head. <laughs> he he seems to be holding it together though, remarkably, doesn't he? he that. He's he's always wanted to make the connection with people, isn't he? To the 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 Jewish crowd, he's saying, you know, I studied under under Gamaliel, um, Ananias. He was a devout Jew. He's he's trying to say to people, this is a story about people like you. And then suddenly he switches to the the soldier, and now he's it's almost like he's trying to convert the soldier, you know, um, and says, you know, I have a Roman citizenship. You know, he doesn't stand up in front of the, the crowd in the temple and say, hear me, crowd in the temple, I'm a Roman citizen. He doesn't say that. But suddenly now... But it's the all things to all men, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, he's wise, and so, when, he's wise when to be poet, isn't he? Yes. And, yes. and he's not panicking. As far as we know. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose the, the link I'm making, uh, someone referred to me this week um, when Nelson Mandela was being prosecuted. Now, I'm... I'm going to be careful here because Nelson Mandela and Paul are two different people. But um, when Nelson Mandela was was threatened with imprisonment and actually the death penalty, he gave the most remarkable speech. Um, I can't remember the name of the trial, but it's it's in his autobiography about his own people and all that they had suffered in their own story. And there there is tremendous poise in Nelson Mandela's speech. And when I studied acts at university people sometimes scholars said things like oh these speeches were written by Luke afterwards um as a way of Luke giving his own theology and putting it into the mouth of people and I'd always read Nelson Mandela's trial and thought no this is how people with remarkable poise can speak when they're under tremendous pressure when they have a a kind of a spiritual peace that goes beyond all understanding so I I do see that in what Paul's saying here. Yeah. And he doesn't just, in his speech to the Jews in Aramaic, he doesn't just tell his story. That bit at the end, near the end, he says, you will be as witnesses to all people of what you've seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised and wash your sins away, calling his name. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. every opportunity. Come to Jesus. It's brilliant. Yes. Yes. Because it would have been a moment to just give a defence of himself. And- yeah, yeah. Exit stage left. Yeah, indeed, very good. Yeah, so uh, he he then so so I'm, I'm keeping it moving because we're you know we've got quite a lot still to cover. And we've still got the um, nephew. We've still got the nephew. Ver- verse sixteen could be your phrase. Verse of the day 
Hey, Fiona, and now, why do you delay? Yes, <laughs> keep it moving. Exactly. Keep it moving. <laughs> um, yeah, brilliant. So then he's 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 taken away he's, because because it all gets a bit out of hand, doesn't it? They're mm-hmm. throwing off their cloaks and they're flinging dust in the air, um, and they ordered uh, he's ordered to be into the the barracks, and um, then he brings up the Roman citizenship thing just as they're stretching him out to to beat him to flog mm-hmm. him. Um, and and then you you again it's the language thing there isn't it that the, the conversation happens around his his citizenship. Um, can we talk about the nephew? Mm-hmm. So it's jumping on quite a bit. Yeah, there's another speech you, in between. Yeah, but... we should do the Sadducees first. Yeah, sorry, yeah. okay. So, so the San, Sanhedrin first of all. <laughs> right, I was getting a bit excited there about the nephew. Um, yeah. So so then he's brought before the Sanhedrin. And he comes up with this brilliant line. He knows the Sanhedrin split along party lines. So he says, I'm here because I'm a Pharisee. Well, firstly, he says, oh, I didn't know you were the high priest. Sorry. And and then he says, um, yeah, I'm here because I'm a Pharisee. So they all kind of erupt into all their own tensions. I mean, it's quite a, is that, I don't know, what word we use to describe that from Paul, that move? Mm. Yeah, well, it's, yes, it's, I mean, it's, it's quite clever, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's quite clever rhetoric. It's politically aware. It, yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. And 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 bringing I mean, obviously when you talk about Sadducees, it's always bringing it back to that question about resurrection as well, isn't it? Yeah. So that's sorry. I'm I'm slightly stilled because I'm just desperate to get to Jane's nephew because I know, I know this I'm, is. I'm excited about the nephew. To be honest, but that's also, why I lost my train of thought here. A wee bit about that when he's speaking to the Sanhedrin, yes. he, he he calls him my brothers three times, even though there's so much division, there's so much conflict, he still refers to them as his brothers. And I think for me, you know, when I'm in difficult conversations, you know, it's still, you got to, I was talking to someone the other day and how they, asking them how they were dealing with someone that they were finding difficult. And they said, I've just asked Jesus to help me love them. That sounds, you know, that's it. You know, if you can, if you can love the, pe- the love the person, it, it doesn't make the situation any more, less difficult. And, and it's got to, it, it is completely supernatural. Isn't it? We're not going to build up some kind of love. It has to be given to us by Jesus. Yes, and yeah, I think that's interesting, Jen, because I had a situation this week actually on similar lines, and I, I kind of sort of forced myself to communicate with the person in a loving way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and to be honest, totally honest, I wasn't really feeling it. No, no. <laughs> and it wasn't I was lying in what I was saying, but I, I'm not feeling it. But I'm 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 determinedly going to yeah. love. Yeah, and so I wonder if there's something in that too. Something it's the you you, you just need to act with love even if you know your your actual internal heart doesn't really feel like like responding but it's the, it is the right thing to do isn't it it's the it's the jesus thing to do in that situation um, and again the resonances are there aren't they in jerusalem for yeah yeah for jesus before the sanhedrin yeah, sorry Neil. no no it's just to say and jesus appears and it's it's yes it doesn't happen terribly often in acts it happens when jesus appears at the start and then to paul but just that lovely thing that Jesus, who knows what it's like to be persecuted by this, he's been attacked by that very same body of people what, 15 years earlier. I can't remember my timeline, so maybe it's 20 years earlier. And Jesus is saying, I know what this is like. And it seems on one level so unproductive. You know, we don't read of any of these Sadducees or Pharisees coming to faith. And yet mm-hmm. there's something tremendously important. And Jesus is saying, um, keep to it and keep your courage. That must yeah. have been such an encouragement for Paul. Yeah, and yeah, I, I never. I mean, there's so many big things that are happening that are just a few words, and the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces. You know, it's like mm. it's just not like it's not just words. It's physically what he's been through that day, um, and then this in the night. 
there's the Lord standing near him saying, take courage. I mean, I'm sure I've said this before, but all these words always remind me of um, the bit in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader when Aslan appears as a albatross to Lucy on the, on the ship and says, take courage, dear heart. And how often in life, you know, we, we need to hear those words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it all heats up even more because outside of the prison there's a there's a plot afoot more than 40 men involved in the plot and they they come to the chief priest and the elders and they've, they've taken this oath that they're not going to eat until they've killed paul so it's really there's real a kind of fervent uh desire to to do away with him and that's where paul's nephew comes in but when the son of paul's sister heard of the plot he went into the barracks and told paul Again, so few words, but there's so much in that. There's such a big story in there, isn't there? This wee boy. And I think we can see it is a wee boy. I wondered what age he was, but I, I did read a wee bit of commentary that later on it says the commander took the young man by the hand and he probably the commander probably wouldn't have done that unless he was a, a boy. Yes. Under mm. 12. And yes. then, so he is referred to as a young man, isn't he? A young yeah. Man. And just mm-hmm. hearing of the plot. I was reading Tom Wright, which I've been trying not to do because we always mention him, but... It is very worthwhile reading, but he was talking about you know how how would the wee boy have heard, um, and he talked about the culture in Jerusalem would have you know everybody would have been talking about this. I mean it was a conspiracy, but you know the, the chatter in the street would have been, you know, and someone says to someone, and then and then one wee boy hears, and he says to another wee boy, and then the next wee boy that hears just happens to be, you know, Paul's nephew, and then he's able he's able to do what God wants him to do, and it also makes mm-hmm. me wonder about Paul's relationship with his family because we don't is this the only time we hear about Paul's family. Oh yeah, I think, yeah, you know, I think so. I mean, other than the sort of yeah. reference to him growing up and that sort of thing, but that's not very personal. It's more was was his fa- was his sister bringing food to the prisoners? I think would have been uh, as would have happened if you're in prison. Somebody would have to have brought you food. You weren't getting prison mm-hmm. food in those days. You know, you'd be mm-hmm. your family would be supporting you. Mm-hmm. So there's so much mm-hmm. going on behind it. There's a whole book in here, isn't there? Another <laughs> reimagining of scripture of this this boy who's willing. Who's willing to do what God wants him to do and yes. and, and saves Paul's life? Really? Could just yeah. But as big as that, and and we never hear of him again. Yeah, what happened next? Yeah, like so many other great mm. characters, like the, like the boy that gives Jesus his packed lunch and feeding of five thousand. Never hear of him again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd love and to follow I, all these people up. Yeah, I had a conversation with someone recently who was basically saying that children and young people. Um, had no leadership position in the church family. Mm. You, know, you had to be an adult. And this is the story. These kind of stories are the stories that say, this challenges this. This this boy, who doesn't say anything about his relationship to Jesus, but he's doing what Jesus wanted him to do, I think we mm. can say. And yeah. he's significant in the story of God's people. Hugely significant. Yeah. In fact, we caught, yeah. because he was a boy. You know, if he'd been an adult, he probably couldn't have done this. It's just a wee boy coming into the prison to see his uncle yeah. overlooked yeah i i just have an image of heaven that you know on tuesday in seminar room b paul's nephew will be telling us that'd be great yeah, but being and on very thursday nice. the woman at the well will tell us what happened next <laughs> but it'll be even better than that because we'll have all the time of eternity so you won't have to put it in your diary and go to a seminar You'll have plenty of time to catch up with these people one to one. There won't be somebody time. coming coming around the seminar going, five minutes to go. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I really hope heaven is not full of seminars. 
Please God, no. <laughs> Would you not like those seminars, though? You'd go to that seminar, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, yes, yes. It's just not the seminar I'd, format. I'd, I'd more no. imagine it's sitting under a tree on lovely green grass in a warm summer's day, and I just happen sitting next to the tree next to me is Paul's nephew, and we have a wee chat. Or maybe we're going for a run, and none of us get, neither of us get tired. How, how about the, the nephew of Paul in conjunction with Foolproof Arts <laughs> yes. w- will be presenting dramatically the story of his life? Would that, would that be okay? I really hope in heaven I'm not having to do dramatic presentations. <laughs> I'm trying to get this into a format that you're going to find. I know. Well, it's funny because I was having a conversation with somebody about heaven the other day. In fact, Jenna, Andy Bathgate's Thanksgiving service. Um, and we were talking about uh, whether... Whether it, I wonder whether in heaven actually everybody will be praising and worshiping God with whatever it is that we are gifted by Him to do. Hmm. Sitting in seminars is not what I'm gifted to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> heaven will have its own format for storytelling. I think so. Yes. I mean, I'm happy to be. Yes, part of the storytelling aspect. Of it. Yeah. Anyway, we can uh, maybe go down that rabbit hole another time because uh, <laughs> we are running short of time for this. Uh, Anyway, the, the the influence of this boy is enormous, as you say, yeah. Jen, because mm-hmm. without him, I guess this is where the story would have ended for Paul. Yep. Yep. Possibly. Yeah. Because they and get him out. I, yep. Yeah. Get him out. And, but they get him out in order to tell his story in another place. That's the point. It's not like they get him out totally of prison. It's like, oh, no, we'd, we just need you sharing the gospel now with Felix. Yes. There's, Happy fellow. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's something interesting here that... The, the empire is actually a restraining influence. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's, a, there's often a telling of Jesus in the Gospels that this is what happens when an innocent man comes on the path of empire. But that's not the way that Luke is telling this, uh-huh. this story. And I, I think what Luke is trying to say is the, the people you wouldn't expect to be helping Paul are, and the people you expect to be getting Paul are actually persecuting him at this point. Yes, yes, mm. yes. And actually, in a strange way, I think that's quite comforting. Mm. Why? Because 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 it's not always people. Mm. people, I think that was still probably still true today. Is what is what I mean by that. And it's sometimes it's unexpected people who who are the positive influence for God's kingdom, and it's the unexpected people who are a negative influence for yeah kingdom. And God knew exactly what He was doing when He chose Paul, didn't He? All the things that we needed included His Roman citizenship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, next time we will pick up on on really what happens next. But he is he's as you say transported off to the governor Felix, and uh, will have opportunity to speak to numerous people in authority. And we'll come back to that next time. <laughs> Good. Thank you both very much. What is your takeaway from today? I think my takeaway has to be to give children the opportunities to serve Jesus. I don't know what that might I'm, look I'm like. I'm hesitant. Well, I'm hesitant <laughs> because I feel you probably do that already. But yeah. Yes, I think I do. <laughs> but really let I, yourself off the hook there. <laughs> well, to help help more people do that then, or to really, and do, I, and do I really, do, do I really sort of, um, yeah, do I really create the space? Do I really, do I even help them know? Do I even tell this story to them? You know that, you know what's. Do I even say to them what's what's God saying to you today, or do I spend a lot yeah. of time saying this is what God said to me? 
there's your constant challenge i like that constant challenge that's good like that yeah no that's good that's good neil what about you a couple of things one is a the story you told jen about people 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 um and the the scene on the beach um and also i suppose it's just sense of this is incredibly pressurized and it feels incredibly out of control but there is a very strong sense that that god is holding all of this together and that moment where he says keep courage mine i think is about language mm. it's about the importance of finding the right language mm. to communicate with the right people at the right moment mm. yeah i think is what i would like to go and think about brilliant thank you very much uh jen what is the gen what's the gen trying to keep what's up with gen? reports trends research findings and the latest thoughts no time to what's read or listen to all that valuable content look no further what's the gen will keep you up to date in touch and on the ball what's the gen your guide to current thinking today's gen may actually seem a bit dull but i think it's really important that we're aware of kind of general secular research around our culture. So today's research is the Growing Up in Scotland study, um, which is a longitudinal study following lives of young people, surprisingly, in Scotland. Um, and this this sort of information has been plucked from that longitudinal study uh, from 2019 and 2020. Um, so they're now, they were born 2004-2005, they're about, around about 14 years old, 2,943 young people, that's quite a lot. Um, and it looks at their life experience over a range of areas and again it's last time was a bit sort of just like percentages and this is a bit like that as well so I'm just going to give you them because I think it's important that we know these things as we spend time with young people okay so 84% of these young people in Scotland feel that's feel, feel positively about school which I thought was very encouraging they feel they're treated um, well with their teachers um, 91% of them said they tried their best at school um, so that's, that's very positive statistics um, interestingly, seventy nine point five percent of them said they wanted to stay in education after S four. That's forty seven percent wanted to go to university, fifteen percent to college, twenty one percent not sure. An interesting thought I had about that was, is that is that the only options they're being given in life is to do um university or college? Is there any other sort of in things they could do with their life that have a job or do a an apprenticeship? That was interesting. Um. A very positive view of their parents. They felt the majority of them felt they were listened to by their parents. They could count on their parents. Their parents would ask if there's any problems, um, and if there was something wrong. So that, that that's a really positive thing to come out of these young people in Scotland today. Um, eighty five percent also said that they felt their friends paid attention to them, and they had friends who would listen to them. Um, thirty two percent felt pressurized by their friends to act tough, and forty percent pressurized about the way they looked and they dressed, but more were positive about their friendships um and and the last one to leave you with and you can look at look at this more if you want but the majority of these young people 14 year olds do not participate in any youth work activities and that, that's the terminology they're using 15 percent are, are in uniformed organizations um which well there's a there's a challenge for us as as christians because i wonder what that would have been maybe 20 years ago would there have been more young people part of youth work and that's just not youth ministry that's youth work in general um so i'd like to dig more into that what is that what does that mean for these young people is, is there a lack of community of sort of connection outside school um yeah so i think i'll just leave it at that um but it's, it's good to find these 
what's going on about with our young people in Scotland. I know it's not obviously my gens are obviously good, mostly going to focus on young people and children because that is my that's what I do. Um, yeah, but I, I, the, the, most of them not being part of a broader youth work experience yeah. is concerning. Mm. I wonder what that leaves the gap. Was there much in it about digital connection? There was quite a lot about that, but there was so much. I thought I could only just pluck out a few. There's Sorry, I'm so not much in... to be the expert. You know, no, but there is so much information, which I could read it all out. But I mean, how 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 much time do you want to listen to percentage yes, this, yes. percentage that? And yes, I think indeed. we mentioned a wee while ago when I did the children's research about quite a lot of the digital stuff. So I thought I'd focus on other things. And the positive view of school, I was encouraged by that. And their parents, well, it was good things to hear. Mm. Yes, I suppose my question about the digital thing was that I wonder if we if we need to develop a model of digital youth work. Mm. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What does it look like to? Yeah, you because know, people do collaborate online. Exactly. Well, issues Scotland are just context, um, are developing that, so be interesting to me to hear from them. Mm-hmm. Good. Thank you, Jen. Uh, We'll put the link to that research in the show notes. Uh, Next time we're talking about Acts chapter 24, verse 1 through to 26, verse 32. So it's another big chunk to be getting on with. Uh, The link to that will, of course, be in the show notes. And we hope you can join us then. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.